Here's the pitch. Oliver wants to throw. He's got Lance Carl open. Caught. 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The Buffaloes at four on a 52-yard pass from O.C. Oliver to Lance Carl. Running the option on first down. it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. Caught. Touchdown. Caught by Westbrook for a touchdown. Here's the toss play up Breaks a tackle. Touchdown. Touchdown. That's five for Chris Brown. Five-step drop. Sefo. Lufa wants the deep ball. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, and as always, joined by fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. But today, we have a special guest. This is a special podcast. We're joined by former Buff lineman Ryan Miller, former Columbine Rebel, former NFL lineman. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing, I'm doing real well. Uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, great, to, great to see you guys, and I'm um, excited for this. And Tyler, we're just a few days removed from the, the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, NBA championship. I, you still have a smile year to year. Uh, it's been quite quite a whirlwind ride for you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, only been waiting my whole life for it, so it feels pretty good. I think the one thing that I learned right away is that losing just doesn't affect you the same way anymore because I have a title to fall back on, you know, being a fan of that team. So it's just kind of interesting. Like I was like, oh, I can be a Browns fan again and not even be stressed about it because at the end of the day, I saw someone win at some point in my life, so it's kind of easy, a cool feeling. Easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ryan Miller played for the Browns. We're going to get into all that good stuff, but I want to kind of go back to the beginning, Ryan, because you're a Colorado native through and through. You were born in Littleton, raised in Littleton, went to high school in the area. You choose to stay in-state, uh, and now... Post, uh, post NFL, you're back here in the Centennial State. What, were you ever tempted to leave Colorado? You know, I've lived a lot of different places and, and played for a lot of teams, but Colorado is and forever will be home. If anybody's looked outside the past week and seen the sunsets here, you, you know that there's no second, or excuse me, there's there's nothing that would come close uh, to a to a Colorado, you know, Colorado evening, and it's. I don't think I would. You know, I've maybe vacation for a week here or there, but. Roots will always be here. Awesome. Uh, were you always bigger than your peers growing up? Yeah. You, you can ask everybody I played Red Rover against. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was pretty clear you were going to get into football, I would imagine, at a young age. When did you start playing? I started playing football around fourth fourth grade, I think. Um, little Pop Warner, South Jeffco, uh South Jeffco Raiders. We were, we were pretty good. <laughs> so what was the, the weight limit situation there? Were you relegated to a, just the, the offensive line, or could you move around a little bit? Oh, I was definitely. I think I was a double patch player. What, is, what does that mean? It means you have to be on the line. I don't know how it is nowadays, but if you're under X amount, you can still carry the ball or, or be a, 
a linebacker, but no, it was it was line always and forever. <laughs> Before you got to Andy Lowry at Columbine, were there some pretty influent influential people in terms of football and, and kind of your development as a player? Yeah, Chris Littlefield was our uh, little league coach, and we had a great great staff there. Um, they'd all had experience, whether at high school or collegiate level, and this bunch of dads decided, you know, we'll, we'll take this down to pop, and I think definitely put me on the trail. When did you realize I'm I'm pretty good at this? Junior year of high school. Not not until then. Junior year of high school, I really started, I, I think, coming into my own and, and realizing that I've got a talent for this, and it took it took some tough love from Andy Lowry and a little maturity um you know my sophomore year i i hated football i actually quit football really uh at columbine and i went down to play jv because i i was immature uh plain plain and simple i was immature and i didn't think it was fun and then that summer my junior year realized that i've i've got some tools and this could be this could work out well for me and and it, and it did <laughs> and uh so you with Columbine, you mentioned you went down to junior varsity. I think you were like 34 and five or something like that in your three seasons there. You had a lot of success. Yeah, I don't remember losing many. Yeah, and obviously you win a state championship your senior year. Uh, what are your greatest memories playing for Andy Lowry there at Columbine? Oh man, hearing Andy talk about the J Block, which is just a, an Andy Lowryism, uh, and 433. And, and 30 Washington were plays that we ran at least at least 30 times a game, and it was just a simple wedge block, and then a uh, a, a dive. Now that, that, that was it, and it was Andy's mentality, and it was kind of all of our mentality that here's the play, you know we're going to run it, try and stop us, and you can't. A lot of kids nowadays will play in these spread offenses in high school you played in the complete opposite like you just kind of described there do you think if you had to choose one do you think you would choose what you did because it maybe instilled some kind of a blue collar mentality as, as a football player well i think that's really what embodies football is you know the power of the just lining up against somebody and, and hitting them in, in the mouth you can you know be be frilly and, and throw the ball to the sides and do all that sort of stuff and there's a place for it but it's i don't think that's when you talk about football, you think Bear Bryant, you know, you think grit, you think Browns, you think, you think just hand in the dirt, you know, smash each other, and that's that's what football is. Yeah, I was just gonna ask, uh, uh, throughout your high school career, who do you think the best or most physically imposing player that you played against was? Ooh, um, entire career. In high school, yeah. In, oh, in high school. In high school. Um, well, Bryce Gibbons was a pretty good player in high school. Um, so was Stone from Arvada West. I don't remember his first name. Um, and then actually, Curtis Cunningham, a teammate of mine from Little League all the way up into college. And Curtis was always just gritting his neck, hard to hard to block, just tough, <laughs> tough guy to block. My favorite thing about Curtis was he kicked off for Columbine, and he'd go barreling down on kickoff coverage, and to see those guys just kind of 
They, and guys did this with you too. They, you could tell they wanted no part of him. <laughs> they would, they would hunker down and pray for mercy. I think he kicked with a square toe. I think we had an old square toe from Ivory Moore that was out of, gosh, looked like it was something you'd wear in 1962. It, it was just a age-old monstrosity. I need to pull up some of the, the video I got. I would go sideline and just ISO on you. And to see some of these guys just lay down on the field, like literally just lay down on the field and say, I'm not going to get hit by Ryan Miller. And it would take a couple times. You'd get them a few times early in the game, and you'd get to that second level, and they, they would just kind of cower. It, it made my job a little easier at times when guys would get out of the way. But you, you put on a show, like a lot of guys, I, I, I come out and I ISO on them as offensive linemen, and they might get a pancake or two. I knew if I was going to a Columbine game with Ryan Miller, I was going to get some good footage. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. It, <laughs> you know, weight definitely helped in that category. You know, when you're a foot taller and 50 pounds heavier than everybody, you should win more often than not. My other, the other play I remember is in that state championship game, and I forget the running back's name that went to CSU. Phil Morelli. Phil Morelli, uh, he breaks away, and it was, what, 60 yards downfield? You, you finally caught up to him. You had kind of the angle on him. He was dodging guys left and right. And yeah, they, they'd run an end around, and Bryce had cut me, and I just got lucky. Took the most God-given angle you can imagine, and, and Phil slowed up towards the end. Yeah. But, you know, Phil's another one of those guys that was on that South Jeffco Raiders team, actually. So. When you started running there, did you have any idea you were going to catch up to him eventually? <laughs> I'm not really sure what I was thinking about, except that, man, altitude really, really gets to you. Is that the most athletic play you made in your football career? Probably. Um, yeah, nothing else pops in the mind. I think that's one that will ever, forever go down. And maybe at the end of the game, the, the pick, CJ's pick, and getting lucky dragging Brewer to the ground and he just hooked it up. You said you didn't realize until your junior year that you were really good at, at football. I think colleges pretty much figured it out right then as well. I mean, it was basically your junior year. It started kind of flooding in for you, right? Yeah, it, it really did. Um, you know, I was lucky to have a lot of support from the Columbine community, my folks, and everybody around. And when, when you come to the realization that you can be successful in something and that, that mindset, you put a lot more effort into, okay, here's what I need to do, here's, here's how I can be smart about this. Um, Joel Bushman's a guy who I played with in high school who's a good, dear, 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 dear friend of mine. And just shut the beer pong uh, game making noise over here. <laughs> Joel. We, are, we are, by the way, at the Blake Street Tavern. We had a great lunch here. Uh, I should have mentioned that at the top. We, lo we love this place. So just put, uh, deal with the, some of the, the bar sounds that we have going on here. It makes it, makes it uh, enticing, you know. Exactly. Uh, but, but Joel had told me, hey, you've got a chance to be really good at this. And I kind of followed his lead because Joel was getting recruited and, and Joel was kind of that bigger guy that was. We were stacked my junior year on that line. And I think the caliber of guys around me definitely helped, I guess, help me on the rise. I think you might have been the last five-star recruit in, in the state of Colorado, if my memory serves here. You're ranked number two nationally as an offensive tackle and Gatorade Player of the Year, U.S. Army All-American. Ryan, why, why you're one of my favorite players that I've covered is that it didn't seem like that ever really affected you the way it does a lot of kids. How did you keep that from 
you got a big head, but it will make it <laughs> blowing up even more. Well, it, it, it goes back to upbringing, um, humble upbringing. My you know, folks instilled on me that you know, it's a long, or it's a short, short way from the White House to the outhouse, and uh, you just you gotta you gotta stay level-headed because you never know. Um, and it didn't matter what people write. And if you don't produce on you know, Friday nights or Saturday or Sunday, it it didn't matter. You know, people like to talk. People like to write stuff. Sometimes you got to back it up. So. You got guys from from rivals and scout hitting you <laughs> up. And what what was that all like? I mean, for a 18 year old kid. It's surreal. It's it's really cool. Um, you you see interviews on TV, and then all of a sudden. You know, CET or Comcast wants to do a, a high school interview with you, and you, know, you you don't realize how little it is in the grand scheme of things. But at that time and place, that's that's cool. I don't care how old you are. Did you do the thing where you start getting so much mail, you start pu putting it up on your wall? Or yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, now it's tw it's all Twitter. Back then, you had the actual you know written stuff that would get you excited. Yeah, I think. Virginia sent out, gosh, 10 letters a week of just a quote, and that was it. If I had a nickel for every piece of mail I got from Virginia, <laughs> I wouldn't have to work a day in my life. I was just going to ask, uh, we, we heard a lot about CU and Notre Dame, obviously, throughout your recruiting process, but um, who are a few of the other schools that you looked at pretty heavily, and do you have a cool recruiting story, just like some story that you've never told anybody about, some unique, <laughs> unique approach for how a coach recruited you? Um, I really liked SC, um, but California, I love California, but it's not my, it's not my cup of tea. Um, I'll go out there and visit, but I wasn't going to be able to play football in California. And... Uh, I really had a close, a close connection with Mario Cristobal, who was at the time the O-line coach at Miami. And I really liked Miami because of Cristobal. And I think I think if Miami would have been closer, I would have given a lot more thought to Coach Cristobal. And that was a testament to his recruiting. And we had a fantastic relationship. And I'd, I'd still like to get in contact to him to this day. So if anybody knows, let Adam know, because I'd like to say thanks. Um, but I guess I do have one pretty good recruiting story. We're, we're driving around the campus at Notre Dame with Charlie Weiss, and my sister is oogling over Charlie Weiss's Super Bowl ring. And he's, she's just enamored with this thing. And Weiss sees her looking at it, and he asks if she'd like to see it. And she nervously shakes her head. Well, it's stuck on his pinky. And he sticks his pinky in his mouth and just lathers this thing up with good old-fashioned Charlie Weiss love. <laughs> pulls this thing off and it's like when you uncork a champagne bottle or something just goes <laughs> and it's glistening and spit and she, he drops it in my sister's hand and her uh, her excitement quickly faded and she handed it right back to him but that was a, that's a I'll never forget that that was pretty good did, did you like Charlie Weiss during the recruit process? honestly I'd already made up my decision before we went to Notre Dame. Okay. Um, God bless my mom, but she wanted me to give everybody their due. But I, I wanted to take the visit, see what it was like. And, and luckily, I got to meet guys that I know now that I, I, I consider, I treasure their friendships. Ryan Harris was out there, and I ended up playing with Ryan 
and uh, training with Ryan in the off season. Um, it's just a, a small, small world in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I remember. I've only had one interaction with Charlie Weiss, and it was when Butch Lewis at Regis was getting heavily recruited. Oh, yeah. It's during the spring evaluation period. I'm down at Regis doing a video deal on Butch Lewis. This helicopter comes flying in over the horizon. Out hops Charlie Weiss, and he walks up, and I, I'm within listening distance. He shakes Butch Lewis's hand and says, what are the chances you're going to commit to me within the next 15 minutes? And Butch Lewis was just like, that, that was the wrong sales pitch for him. Yeah. But I remember that really left an impression on me that Charlie Weiss is – He's going for the hard sell here. He's not. <laughs> I mean, hey, smoke him if you got him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you were never close to leaving the state of Colorado for college. I, I don't think so. Um, no. I honestly, it was. It would have been Colorado, Miami, Notre Dame. Okay. I think everybody assumed that Notre Dame was your number two. Yeah. Uh, they did. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, what, what sold you on the buffs aside from being in Colorado, or was that basically it? Legacy. The legacy and the history of the program. Um, grandfather played there in the 60s. had a lot of early interaction with Bill Harris, a you know, former CU great. Um, you see guys like Eric Bieniemy and Charles Johnson. There's just so many guys that I could ramble off about that player, this player. You know, Lawrence Vickers face-smashing CSU into the end zone. I mean... That GIF is everywhere, and it's it's glorious. Um, and you know, you you touched on it. Colorado is home, and to have this kind of caliber of a program <clears throat> in my backyard, kind of stupid decision not to. Dan Hawkins, I think, drove you from a game up to Boulder on your official visit, right? Yeah, I think we were playing at the Knack. I was there. Yeah. yeah. It might have been against A West, actually. Um, that had to be kind of cool. I mean, you a lot of us have opinions of Dan Hawkins, but as a high school kid to have a Division One head coach drive you up for your visit, I mean, that had to be kind of a cool feeling. You know, it was. I had an awesome visit. Cody Hawkins was my was my host, and hung out with him and Scotty McKnight most of the time. Um, it, it, the visit really wasn't important to me. It was. Okay, I get to come up and, and, and hang out with these guys and see these guys. And I think when I committed, I drove up because I wanted to do it in person, um, just because Colorado was that near and dear to me. Awesome, man. So you you go up to Boulder, you crack the starting lineup. Uh, I think what like four or five games in your, your freshman year. And Kansas State on the road. Kansas State. Yeah. And uh, you get to play in a bowl game. Huh. It's been a long time. You're the, you're the last group of buffs that, that played in the bowl game. Can you even fathom back then that there would be kind of this drought after that? No. No, I can't. It pains me to say. Um, I think there's a lot of hope, though. What, what do you remember about that freshman year and playing in a bowl game? Um, I remember playing against Wallace Gilberry, knowing that that was a man across from me, uh, but being pretty happy with my performance against him. And then remember our last two-minute drive uh, to come back 21 points in the fourth and almost win it, um, except Daniel Sanders should have given the ball to the smaller kid. Because nothing against you, Gerthy, but you're not a very good <laughs> running back. 
Well, there was a lot of positive momentum, it seemed, around the program. After that bowl game, Colorado signs Daryl Scott, the number one ranked running back in the country, uh, 15th ranked recruiting class, just the class in general, great on paper, obviously only on paper, as it turned out. But what was, you go to a bowl game, you see these recruits coming in. What was the vibe like in the locker room that offseason? It was it was big. There was a lot of a lot of power behind it. Everybody was excited and thought that we were really on the on the upspring. Um, we'd and we'd won a couple of really close games against good opponents, well, West Virginia, Oklahoma. You know, in that in that time frame, and there was there was definitely a lot of well, we can be pretty good. Um, I, mean, I think we got smoked with injuries. Yeah, well, in 2008, it starts out great. You guys win your first three games, and everyone that's a CU fan remembers that Thursday night game against West Virginia. You yeah. beat them in overtime. I remember in the post-game press conference, uh, Eric Goodman is lauded and put on scholarship, <sighs> and George Hippolyte stands up in the post-game press conference and screams, we are still in contention for the national championship. <laughs> and everything was, was right in the world with, as far as CU goes. That was George. Yeah, that was George. Oh, that was George. The rabid goldfish. <laughs> but Dan Hawkins gets an extension. I mean, everything looked great. And it, it's crazy because uh, you've mentioned injuries. You were kind of the, the first thing that seemed to kind of go wrong that season with the broken fibula. Yeah, so, sorry about that, guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, on the road to Florida State and the All-Whites, which the alumni, the All-Whites look good. So shut up. They look good. I know they're not Even on a big guy like you? Even on a big guy like me. I can sell tires and I can play football in All-White. So just, you know, take it easy. But uh, Was that the first major injury you had playing football? Yes. Um, first real broken bone. I'd never done anything like that. And... I remember in the huddle, looked down, or we, we run a play, it was a fold block, and Myron Roll, I think, comes in, makes a great tackle, and I just feel something pop. I don't look down. I think it's a knee brace. I'm hoping it's a knee brace. I'm really, really praying it's a knee brace. I walk back to the huddle. We call the play, and then I walk to the, I walk to the line, and I pick my foot up, and Daniel Sanders is our center, and he looks down. and I look down, and my foot is just kind of hanging there. And I sit down on the ground. And it was all general, jacked up on adrenaline. But, uh, yeah. What was that recovery process like for you, coming back from your, your first injury? Um, I never really had to rehab anything or, or get into it. I remember my first time back was in the middle of winter conditioning, and that sucked. Uh, for just rehabbing a, an ankle for so long and then having Jeff Pittman run everybody to the ground on that first, I think it was in February. Uh, i to recall, but if you've ever broken a bone or anything like that, you know the rehab isn't easy, especially with the, when your job as a, as a person is to stack up against someone and, and use all your force to push them. So. This, this is either true or somebody needs to update your Wikipedia page. Is it true that uh, you had a removed bone from the surgery and you made a necklace? That's out of it? that's the gospel truth. Okay. Uh, and there's actually two parts of that. So there's the bone, and then there was the broken plate that I made earrings for a dear friend of mine. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm a little weird. 
<laughs> you know, whatever. I'm okay with it. Did, you, did you it have, have, a, me, have a meaning to you to do that? You did. Um, every, everything's tangible. You know, you're, you're not sure if you're going to have what you got going forward, so make the most of what you got now. Um, I still have it. I still wear it on occasion. Not as much as I used to. But, uh, yeah. Um, people ask if it's a shark tooth. No, it's... <laughs> I'd like to tell them it's just a part of me. That's awesome. Good story. <laughs> you good? Uh, so you're granted a medical redshirt. So you have three years left. You come back, start the next 36 games over the course of the 2009, 2010, 2011 season. You actually broke Jordan Dizon's mark for the most uh, career starts. Uh, obviously, you would have liked to win more games during that three three year span. Um, but you had some some fun times. I remember, uh, at least from covering it, it was a fun time when, not that it was what you guys wanted, but Brian Cabral steps in as the interim head coach and seemed to really energize the program for three weeks, and you guys almost get into a bowl game. That yeah, day. Uh, man, Cabral is, you want to talk about someone who bleeds black and gold. That man, anybody who's ever played under or for Cabral knows that he means business. And still to this day, I have a ton of respect for Cabral. Um, he he's a fantastic coach. Knew how to get the best out of every player that he could, and it, he did it in a calm way. Sometimes he you know he lit a fire under your butt, but Cabral had a just a natural I think a natural head coaching ability to start what fires that needed to be started, you know, and and calm down others. Um, yeah, Cabral, a lot of respect for Cabral. Uh, Honored to have played for Cabral. Were the players kind of hoping when that season ended that maybe he would have been given more consideration for the head coaching job, or did you kind of realize that hey, he didn't have the the experience to, to do that? I didn't think it. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of us were pulling for him. You know, we liked a lot of guys on that staff. We were hoping that they'd, they'd stick around. Another stretch that people might forget about just because the John Embry era was so quick, but. You guys win, as seniors, a game at, at home, your final home game against Arizona. You win two of your last three. You break the long road losing streak at Utah. That three-week stretch with those two wins, I mean, people were starting to get optimistic again. It was definitely going out on a high note. Um, break the streak and bring the bricks back, or the, the mantra that Embro brought in. And Embro brought back tradition, brought back what it meant to have pride and tradition, um, kind of very similar to Coach Mac. One, Coach Mac first. O OG Mac? <laughs> yeah, OG. <laughs> OG Mac, I like that. Uh, and get the feeling of kind of the Matt McChesney's, the Sean Tufts, the guys that it, it didn't care. It didn't matter who was across the line, whether it was Oklahoma, Nebraska, Texas, and then now these Pac-12 teams. It was Colorado football had had some stuff about him and we were going to show you. You won a state championship, so you had a great celebration. Where did that celebration after the Utah game in your final game, just knowing that that road losing streak that would had been kind of hanging over the program so long, was that celebration like on par with some other other celebrations? You oh, had it was huge. Um, it was huge. We sang that fight song, I think, for 24 hours straight, and it was just great to be together you know, as, as, as I'm going to say champions, but as, as winners, 
with guys that you live with, guys you bleed with, you know, just sharing that love between coaches and, and players. And, you know, we, we had a goal. We would like to hit it sooner, but regardless, we hit it. And we did, we did what we wanted to do. And, and that was, it was, why, why can't we come out and, and beat these guys? And Utah's a good team. You've looked at them before, and they, you know, uh, I think Sugar Bowl beat Alabama. Utah's got a good team. And I'm looking forward to see that rivalry build a little bit more as, uh, as time goes on. But it was that celebration in the locker room was fantastic. Such a, such a good time. It's funny you mentioned the Utah rivalry. Obviously, that hasn't taken hold yet, but we did a similar interview with Parker Orms, and we asked him who were the meanest fans on him, and he said that Utah fans were, and something about chocolate milk being spilt on players and stuff. Did you ever experience anything like that? No. You only had the one, you won one game against Utah, though. Yeah. No, that was, I don't know anything about chocolate milk. That's weird. <laughs> What, what were the, the most rude fans that you encountered throughout your college career? Oh, man. Uh, I hate Mizzou. I don't know. If, I think it's just all of Mizzou. Okay. Um, and Nebraska. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. And I'm really bitter against KU. I shouldn't be, but I am. Um. As far as fan bases go, I can't, nobody really comes to me or speaks out as, oh, I hate these fans or they're, you know, they're jerks. You guys, my parents, they might know better, but <laughs> I tried, I tried my best not to interact with fans <laughs> during games. You tell me if this question is out of bounds. Dan Hawkins is given a fifth year when I think the fan base by and large thought after four years the writing was on the wall and it seemed like a lame duck situation with him did you guys feel that in the locker room or were you just focused on what you were doing and didn't really pay attention to that stuff we knew we knew what our goal was and we we rallied around each other um as, as players you know we, we kind of knew what was going to happen we didn't know when it was going to happen what was going on but you know at, at that point Coaches come and go all the time. You know, you, you love some of them, you can't stand some of them. And I think, I think what was important to us during that time frame was was each other. When we were having lunch here at the Blake Street Tavern before this interview, you shared some Denver Johnson stories. Was that your favorite coach that you played for at CU? I definitely loved DJ. I had a lot of good connections with guys up there. Uh, Brad Bedell um, was one of those. One of those. He wasn't really an O line coach to us, but he, as far as I was concerned, he was one of the one of the best O-line minds I've ever been around. Um, yeah, DJ is a fantastic human being. His one-liner bag is limitless and just knows what to say to crack a joke. Um, <laughs> I, a lot of same, a lot of respect for Coach Johnson. Um, just a, a fantastic, fantastic guy. Um, I was just wanting to get into NFL stuff a little bit. Um, Obviously, you got drafted by the Browns. Um, was there? Did you have any inkling that they were going to be taking you, or was there another team that you really thought was going to go after you? I, I didn't have a clue the Browns were going to draft me. I don't think anybody, unless you're the first overall pick, you don't know. You don't have a snowball's chance in hell idea of where you're going to go. Um, I thought I was going to go to the Raiders. I had a really good connection with their O-line coach um, at the time, and 
there was a lot of talk back and forth between my agency and, and the Raiders, and it was, it was you know, expect a call, and, you know, whatever, whatever reasons, you know, ended up in Cleveland, and go Browns, uh, congrats Cavs, that's awesome, um, you know, shouldn't have burned your LeBron jerseys, but you did, so, <laughs> uh, I, and I loved Cleveland, uh, to this day, there's, there's, uh, people in Cleveland that I, I go, I would go, I go back and see. And if you would have asked me that before I got drafted, you know, you ever see yourself visiting Cleveland, Ohio, I probably would have looked at you like you were dumb. Uh, but no, I, I owe a lot, I owe a lot to the people of Berea and, and to, to Cleveland. The average NFL fan sees guys go through the combine, get drafted, and then they turn on their Sunday NFL ticket or Red Zone channel or whatever. They don't see what's going on on a lot of those other days. What's maybe something? You could tell an average NFL fan about what it's like to be a player at that level that maybe they don't understand. Um, there's a lot of work that goes into it. You guys see Sundays, which is great, and you know, and we love that. But there's also the March to June off-season trainings, and now OTAs and everything gets more. The fans kind of get more of an idea of, of what goes on. But you you see snippets of practice. You don't see the conditioning. You don't see. Um, you don't see the extra meeting times. You don't see the guys getting together after practice or staying late to, to do stuff. It is, it is a full-time job. Um, you go from whenever training camp starts, say July 28th, till whenever you're done. Um, and you say you get a bye week in there. Well, not really. It, you're still there. Uh, it's it's your profession. It's your job. Um, so you uh, you mentioned the Browns. Uh, you play later with the the Broncos, Chargers, Cowboys. What stands out the most when you think back to your time in the NFL? The guys, true professionals. Um, you've got front offices that can be you know, corrupt or or owners or what what have you that don't don't maybe you know shake players' hands to we're, we're pawns. Um, you know, and take this with a grain of salt, but we were high-priced horse. Um, but the guys on these teams are relationships and bonds that I will continue to cherish. Uh, guys that I played with Cleveland, I still talk to, you know, in Denver, Dallas, and, and San Diego. Uh, there's a true brotherhood of, of guys in the NFL because there is so much uh, shuffling that goes on. Um, you, know, you, you don't play your career in one in one team. Very few guys play that 10-year career at, at one spot. But, you know, there's no guarantees in the NFL. Nothing is guaranteed, not even the guaranteed money. Uh, so. You talked about staying in touch with guys in the NFL. Are there some guys you played with up at CU that you still keep in contact with that they're still pretty close to? Yeah. Uh, you know, really lately it's been Tyler Plumbus, David Clark, uh, talk with Parker on occasion, um, guys, you know, Matt Barr, and then Embo, uh, EB on occasion. Mark Johnson, but <laughs> uh, Joe McCurry, that there's a fantastic brotherhood uh, of former players, current players that that's, that's still around. Uh, I think more buffs need to know about that. Did you uh, watch the 30 for 30 they did on, on OG McIntyre? I bawled my eyes out. McCartney? Hats off, ESPN. That was such a fantastic. Gosh, that. If you haven't seen it, watch it now. Pause this interview. Go watch it. It is. It's 
it's heartfelt, it's truth, it's CU, it's Mac, it's it's the embodiment of of the buff. It's it's definitely heart wrenching, but I was so proud, you know, to have played for Colorado after I watched that, and proud of the heritage and the history and, and the tradition. Yeah, I was just gonna ask, um, do you still? All, you know, obviously in the last few years, especially we've had a little bit of difficulty getting some of the best kids out of Colorado to stay buffs. Um, have you reached out to any of these kids over the last few years and talked about your experience and why it was so important to you? I haven't. Um, it's a little foreign to me uh, to, to, to recruit, <laughs> if you will. Um, but I think, I think Colorado schools in general, not just CU, but CSU, CSU Pueblo, when you look at you look at these guys around here. Um, there's some good talent coming out of Colorado, and why kids aren't committing? I don't know if they're not getting recruited. I don't. I don't know. Um, you know if it's on the kids or whatnot. They see success of the programs. I think if you get a kid to Boulder, you got just as good a shot as any as getting them there. You haven't gotten a chance to see the new facilities yet, correct? I've seen. I've seen them in, I saw them in frame stage, okay. and I saw the pools, but otherwise I've yet to go up there and see you know, them in all their glory. You're a blue collar guy, but do you think that would have made a difference when you were a recruit? Did you look at that? Not for me. I'd, made, I'd known my decision, but for other guys, extremely. Um, you go to Notre Dame and you see their facilities, you know, they're, they're you know, blessed by the Pope, if you will, <laughs> at Notre Dame. Um, and then. I remember we had a wrestling camp in Nebraska in high school and I saw their facilities. And yeah, facilities are, are a huge part, but I think that's I think that's secondary to the whole recruiting uh, aspect is that's the eye candy. You know, that's supposed to be the hook. And coaches or that those bonds that you make with the recruiters that should should be the other part of that. Boulder, you show up, if you're not hooked there. Come on now, you're blind. It... What's crazy is is you hear, I talk to other beat writers when they come in to cover Colorado games and they say, this is my favorite place to go cover a game. I know 17, 18 year old kids maybe don't look at mountains the same way that somebody in their late 20s or 30s does. But like you were saying, like shouldn't it, it, it doesn't seem to make sense that you, you have a program that struggled so much, yet it's a place that everybody wants to go I mean, to. I've lived in small towns and, and seen, you know, God's glory and, and beauty in, in a in a small town sunset. And then I've talked to guys from L.A. or guys that live in those high skyscrapers, and when they come and play Colorado, and, and it's a 7 p.m. game, and the sun's going down behind the flat irons, and you're looking up, and Ralphie's running. The conditions cannot get any more perfect. It, it, it does not compare to anywhere else. Uh, another thing with other beat riders is they always think the altitude makes a big difference. Is there much of an advantage at all to be gained there? Is it more mental than anything from what you experienced? When we played Hawaii, at Hawaii, guys from Colorado could breathe. And then when Hawaii played at Colorado, they were struggling. Okay. Um, science, I don't know. Ask one of those guys. Well, so they're going more up-tempo now with Darren Chavarini coming in. I, so I would think, you think that's a good idea to really kind of utilize that? I think it plays your strength extremely. Yeah, it's anybody who knew the parking lot 
at 169 and walked up that hill, you were out of breath. And it didn't matter where you were from. Um, so I think, I think running that up tempo will really, really you know, force a lot of guys to, to see what they got. They've got the sod down on the new outdoor practice field, which is going to be up by the new indoor practice field. Is, it, is there any part of you that's sad that that hill is no longer going to be kind of part of the day-to-day -day operation for the program? Uh, I'm a little bitter because anybody that played knows that hills in the summer sucked. There's no way around it. Uh, you grew as a team, but you know, running hills is not something I claim to be good at. It's not something I want to be good at, and it's frankly something that I hope I never have to do again. Um, but there was always a snicker or a jest talking with former guys about you know, the, the hill. We're running up the hill, and, and guys won't understand that. Uh, it's just a little little piece that, that brings back that, that history. Guys were getting in the creek following the lead of Jim Levitt last year. Did you guys ever do that during camp to cool off? Oh, all the time. It, you knew you had to walk up the hill to get to the Colts up. Why not get done then what you can get done now? Awesome. How, how close of an eye do you keep on the Buffaloes nowadays? It's a lot. I'm, I'm a lot more scrutinizing now than I, than I used to be, uh, but I think I've earned that. John Lasella, a former Columbine Rebel, a former Columbine Rebel offensive lineman yeah. up at CU now, and he got kind of his feet wet a little bit last year. Uh, do you try, Have you ever been, been a mentor to him? Yeah, John and I trained with Matt McChesney uh, at his uh, facility um, when I was getting back into the league after my uh, first episode in Cleveland. Uh, John, you got a chance to be really good and get mean and get nasty. You know, you finally put the weight on. <laughs> now, now I want to see something from you, brother. So. Is it hard? You know how difficult it is to make that transition to college. Do you? Is it hard to watch him and not get, you know, kind of grit your teeth a little bit? Well, I think it's harder for Columbine kids, you know, because we threw 18 passes my senior year in high school. You know, 18 the whole season. Uh, it was a trick play, right? When you it, it, it really was, and I'll, I'll never forget my freshman year. We're having player practices, and Tyler Columbus tells me to get in a two-point stance. And I look at him, and I wonder, what are you talking about? What two-point stance? So I line up like a wide receiver. <laughs> and he goes, "Are you serious?" I go, "Well, I've never been in a two-point stance before." So it, the the speed of the game. There are some monsters at that level. And they get even bigger in the league, but it's it's a big change. You know, you go from being a you know, big fish in a small pond to a you know, big fish in an even larger pond, and now there's sharks and everybody else there that wants to eat you. From your perspective, what needs to happen for the Buffs to get back to a bowl game and you know send maybe the senior class out with something to be proud of? Consistency. Uh, we need to see some consistency in all stages. Um, the whole coaching shuffles that we've had in the past six years or whatnot can't happen. Um, you need to build an offense, you need to build a defense, you need to have guys that learn a, learn an offense one year, come in the next year, know this offense and get better at it. You know, it's just like math. You know, they teach you addition and subtraction and they build onto that. They don't switch up the math system. You know, they, well, I guess they do now. I don't know what this Common Core <laughs> stuff is, but it's dumb. Uh, 
I need, we need to see we need consistency and we need people there we need we need to, we need Colorado's supporters to support Colorado you were saying that you like Mike McIntyre what was kind of your impression of him I think Mac can do a really good job up there he, you know every, every CU fan as of late is, hates to hear we're so close but honestly as a former player I, I think we are I think Mac's got a good program up there I think the strength and conditioning program is miles ahead of what it was. There's some depth, again, some leadership. Uh, the quarterback should be fun to watch. Uh, you know, I hope Sefo gets back and you know, his healing is going well. But the competition should just make this team better. We've been in the Pac-12 for a little while. We know what to expect. It's not that you know, switching conferences that should still be in the back of our mind. It's you know, we need to compete, and we need to compete now. Every guy that came through the program after you didn't has not played in a bowl game. Do you think uh, if Colorado, yeah, if Colorado played in a bowl game this year or next year, do you think that a lot of those guys during that time period would take some pride in certain things in terms of maybe setting some type of foundation, or do you think a lot of guys maybe have a bitter taste in their mouth as a result of not getting a chance to do it themselves? I mean, bitter or not, the past is the past, but. You know, people look at the past as, as past or as, as history. Um, you know, like it or not, you were a, a stepping stone. Whether it's good or bad, you know, you you decide that. I don't care. Um, but you should have some pride in the school because, you know, I feel like CU gave me a lot, um, and I'm I'm very grateful for for that program and for what they've done for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I guess I would just follow it up with. Um do you see yourself being a part of the program moving forward, getting up there, going to games? Um, you said recruiting is a foreign thing to you, but do you kind of take it upon yourself to maybe improve that going forward, be a part of that, or do you just kind of leave that to the staff and no, I'd, help what you can? As, as much as they want me to be involved, I'll, I'll do my best to be involved, but... Oh, excuse me. Um, there, There's a time and a place you know, for for the former guys to stand up and say something, and there's also a time for the for the coaches to, to do do their jobs and get their guys ready to go. Um, I'll definitely go up and be there and, and support in the way that that alum should. Uh, as far as you know, any more than that, it's kind of still up to decide. Do you have anything else for him, Tyler? I'm good. Well, Ryan, this was great stuff. Hey. Anybody listening to this, if you see Ryan around town, around Boulder, give him a big high five. This is a, a great former buff. Ryan, we really appreciate you taking some time out. It's always good to get that perspective uh, from a former player. you have any messages for, for CU fans out there? Uh, you know, keep hope you know, and, and keep supporting. Because they need our support now more than ever. And we're, we're close. I really think so. You know, good luck to the to the guys in this upcoming season. You know, Mac, I think can do a great job up there. You know, good luck, Adams, and Clayton. I hope you hope that whole line's doing well. Um, yeah, go Buffs. Awesome, Ryan. Thank you, and thanks to everyone for listening. Rocky Mountain.